My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast feed, and I am coming to you with an episode of a podcast that you may not be aware that I do. It's called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, and it exists on the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed. And Michael Wan and I are the co-hosts. Every week I give him a call, and we record a podcast over the phone. Now, don't be dismayed if the audio quality isn't the same as this very high-quality, high-polished podcast. A little rough around the edges, but that's the only way Mike agreed to do it, and I couldn't ask for anything less. It is really awesome. I think that, uh, you know, Mike and I have our own synchronistic flow that lends itself to this type of conversation so if you can get past the bumps and bruises on the audio feed i think you'll really love the show and we're only 31 episodes in so if you haven't heard of it before uh now's a good time to catch up mike and i have had two guests on the show in total we've had uh slick dissident aka gabe shout out to gabe he is in the telegram chats think he's a patron supporter if not he better be after this shout out anyways we've also had greg carlwood and this is the episode that you're uh, about to hear obviously if you read the title of this show so yeah this isn't a my family thinks i'm crazy episode with greg carlwood he has been on the show before if you go back to Episode 64, Greg Carlwood joined us to talk about Tartaria, Synchromysticism, and of course his awesome podcast, The Higher Side Chats. So, needless to say, show him some love, sign up for that plus membership and get the whole two-hour episode. And of course, support the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. We've got about uh, 34, 35 episodes out now uh, including the one you're about to hear and we've interviewed two guests slick dissident and now greg carlwood so that is that please support me via cash app paypal or venmo if you'd like to see me and tara drive down to pennsylvania 
hang out with Michael Wan, record an episode in person, and create some synchro mystic content. That's right, we're going to travel around in the Susquehanna Alchemy Mobile and see what happens, but I can't do it alone, gas prices being so high, so we're going to crowdfund this trip and, of course, create as much content as we can. And the trip is either going to start or end with Sam Tripoli. That's right. I'm going to see Sam Tripoli in New Jersey, Morris Plains, New Jersey, on July 15th and the 16th. So if you're in the area, please do sign up, get a ticket, come on down and enjoy the night. Tiff's is a great, great venue. They've got an awesome restaurant. And then, of course, the Dojo of Comedy is the comedy club within Tiff's. The Dojo of Comedy. And Sam Tripoli is headlining. And I will be there. So go and check it out. I hope to see you there. Enjoy this conversation with Michael Wan, Greg Carlwood, and I. And, of course... Stay up to date with your handbook for the apocalypse by subscribing to the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed that is linked in the description. Thank you, folks. Well, how do you think that, like, if if we could mobilize all the listeners of all of our content to try to use that mechanism to manifest something less dark, what would that process be like? Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities, and they're elected by American citizens. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. If you have selfish, ignorant citizens, if you have selfish, ignorant citizens, you're going to get selfish, ignorant leaders. The term limits ain't going to be any good. You're just going to wind up with a brand new bunch of selfish, ignorant Americans. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the politicians who suck. Maybe something else sucks around here, like the public. Yeah, the public sucks. There's a nice campaign slogan for somebody. The public sucks. Fuck hope. Fuck hope. Because if it's really just the fault of these politicians, then where are all the other bright people of conscience? Where are all the bright, honest, intelligent Americans ready to step in and save the nation and lead the way? They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing, germs. Where did this sudden fear of germs come from in this country? Have you noticed this? The media constantly running stories about all the latest infections, salmonella, E. coli, hantavirus, bird flu, and, and Americans are, they panic easily, so now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous, and it goes to ridiculous lengths in prisons. Before they give you a lethal injection, they swab your arm with alcohol. It's true. It's true. It's true. Now, 
Well, they don't want you to get an infection. And you can see their point. Wouldn't want some guy to go to hell and be sick. It would take a lot of the sportsmanship out of the whole execution. Fear of germs, why these fucking pussies? You can't even get a decent hamburger anymore. They cook the shit out of everything now because everybody's afraid of food poisoning. Hey, where's your sense of adventure? Take a fucking chance, will you? You know how many people die in this country from food poisoning every year? 9,000, that's all, it's a minor risk. Take a fucking chance, bunch of goddamn pussies. Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. Now, it's a big club. over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe all day long beating you over the head in their media telling you what to believe what to think and what to buy the table is tilted folks the game is rigged and nobody seems to notice nobody seems to care good honest hard-working people white collar blue collar doesn't matter what color shirt you have on good honest hard-working people continue these are people of modest means continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them they don't give a fuck about you they don't give a fuck about you they don't care about you at all at all seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. I have seen UFOs split the sky like a sheet, but I have never looked at an egg and thought it was a fucking brain, not once. I have had seven balls of light come off of a UFO, lead me onto their ship, explain to me telepathically that we are all one and there's no such thing as death. But I've never looked at an egg and thought it was a fucking brain. Now, maybe I wasn't getting good shit, but... Uh... see those commercials here's your brain here's your brain on drugs just say no why do you think they call it dope and then the next commercial is this buds for you come on everybody let's be hypocritical bastards it's okay to drink your drug <laughs> we meant those other drugs those untaxed drugs those are the ones that are bad Nicotine, alcohol, good drugs. Coincidentally, tax drugs. Ooh, how does this fucking work? Thank God they're taxing alcohol, man. It means we got those good roads we can get fucked up and drive on. Thank God they're taxing this shit, man. 
we'd be doing donuts in a wheat field right now. Thank God we're on a highway. Woo! This is a good drug. Because I'll tell you something, I'll be honest, man. If, if I were going to legalize a drug, it sure wouldn't have been alcohol. Sorry, there's better drugs and better drugs for you. That's a fact. You may stop your internal dialogue. But Bill, alcohol is an acceptable part. Shut the fuck up. You're wrong. Okay? Okay. Shit, man. Not only do I think marijuana should be legalized. I think it should be mandatory. I'm a hardliner. Think about it, man. You get in traffic behind somebody. It's the law. What's going on? I'm talking to you. That's right. I'm talking to you, the listener. It's me, Mystic Mark. Uncle Mike is not here yet. In fact, this episode is not in suit with our typical format. You see, for the first time in a long time, we had a guest on the show, someone who has interviewed Mike several times. So I thought, since Uncle Mike wanted to have guests on your handbook for the apocalypse, it would be only right that I get the man who first introduced me to Michael Wong, Mr. Greg Carlwood himself, humble host of the Higher Side Chats, one of the highest ranking podcasts in this genre, someone who I personally take a lot of inspiration from. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in to Greg telling us briefly about some of the mishaps that were going on right before this conversation took place. Thank you for being here on Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Be sure to subscribe to Susquehanna Alchemy in your podcast player and give us a rating and a review, five stars and all that good stuff. So I had a digital, a digital pipe burst and a physical pipe burst. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great observation. So let me ask you this. What you're describing to me is really where, at least I see so much of the rubber meeting the road as things continue to unfold, which is everyone finding like, what is their level of commitment to the, the technology, the technology machine. And, and we, we need, we're going to come to a point where we're, we're realizing like, you know, what is it that we're really trying to do? And so you said a moment ago, you said um, that 
that I just want to go back to to being able to control my own show or, or present or host my own show. I forget the exact word, but I think that's gonna that sentiment is like a big deal showing itself in many many different places right now. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing it anywhere else? <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like a lot of people feel as if roadblocks are getting in front of them that are have they they really can't control and it's frustrating. Whether yeah. I can't even can't get baby formula for your infant child or you know inflation, gas, all these things like people like hey, you know, I had my flow going and now this is a, a huge wrench in the gears and I guess it's just par for the course, something in the stars as they say. Well, there's definitely something good of the stars. I, I was just talking to someone about this because, like, for whatever reason, Mercury retrograde isn't something which really jumps out in my in my value system. But it's also, and Mercury retrograde is going on at this moment. So people who like that holds a lot of weight to be like, oh, well, that's Mercury retrograde. What would you expect, Mercury retrograde? But to add to that, what is going on right now, which these two don't always line up, is it's also Pluto retrograde. So if there was something in the heavens which would be connected to it, those would be the two things that I would look at. Mm. Makes sense to me. Mm. Well, I definitely feel a changing atmosphere. We see more and more people, quote unquote, waking up while some people seem to stick their heads further into the sand. But it's a, a real, you know, treat. Like I was saying before we started recording there, have you both here because greg you are talking to unique brilliant people of a very wide variety on a monthly basis mike you're out there in the world and we've sort of tracked your progress over the course of your handbook for the apocalypse and it's funny how it lines up because the first episode of your handbook for the apocalypse came out the week after your most recent appearance on Greg's show. So since that time, we've kind of had a series of adventures that I, I participated in one of them, and I definitely want to bring that up now to, I don't know, fill in the blanks. Who knows? Maybe you guys have talked about this off the air since. Maybe Greg already knows about this, but I know as a listener of your show, Greg, and a big fan of yours, Mike, that there's this sort of through line with your episodes, you know, these weird mail correspondences that you would get, Mike, right? And those kind of culminated at the beginning of the year, this year, into uh, a very interesting offer that sent you, you know, in a different direction, so to speak. You went to to Baltimore and and now you're in Gnome countryside. So, and to add to that level of synchronicity, Greg, I know this from our first conversation and also from hearing you talk about on your show, one of the first strange experiences you've ever had was with a creature who you could maybe define as a gnome, but I know I've heard you say it as a, a leprechaun or a little person. 
So we kind of are coming full circle here, but Mike, I got to ask you, have you told, have you told Greg? Uh, hold on, I just want to take a moment and clap my hands and how you tied together the Gnome Countryside to, to what, what Greg said. I'm going to, I recognize a nice loop back on that. So well done, Mark. Well, you're, uh, you're in the land of the gnomes right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know if, if uh, no, I, to answer the, the quick answer to your question is no. Uh, I haven't told this story to Greg and what, 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 what is interesting? I don't know if Greg realized what he's walking into. Greg, do you do you feel like you're walking into something? I feel like there's something brewing, but I don't know what. Ah, well, that is certainly for for certain. So, so Mark is, is spot on in the fact that I've probably been I don't know, let's say like fifty or sixty different different podcasts. There's a point where anyone who would ask me to come on the show, I would love the opportunity. But there was always something which happened, which I happened to notice in my personal life between when I would go on your show and, and not go on your show, or compared to other ones. And I always kinda like and I still do. Like I I, I connect that to uh, I guess a variety of things, but it's the it's it's a reflection of the energy of your show, both size, scale, and quality, and all that sort of stuff. So, all that being said, there's always been this strange, like Mason link, okay? And right around right around my birthday in in December, I turned fifty, and there was eclipse on that birthday. I get this invitation to present at this Masonic lodge, and so that turned into something which like turned into something and my life flipped upside down. And then I was living in Baltimore for a little bit and now I'm living in Nome countryside. And there is a certain, there's a certain parallel I think, or, or it's connected to what you were describing about, about everyone feeling like the bump in the road. And what I think would be an interesting way of talking about it is seeing how this bump is, is experienced in all of in, in different perspectives of our lives. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Like how, what, what sort of, have you seen in your own experience, like because a movement, like almost from, like we'll look at it from this large energy perspective of, of something happening. And the reason why I ask that is because as Mark said, you have a great point of view from where you sit in the conductor's chair in a way, and you're still a human being, but you're seeing something. And I'm curious from your perspective, if you see anything happening or what are you seeing and what sort of trends? Well, you know, being in the host chair and having a decent sized audience, usually for the last 12 years, I haven't really gotten a lot of friction. It's been pretty easy. I say all the time, wow, considering the wide range of things we talk about and the narratives we dissect and it can get into pretty thorny territory sometimes, I really don't face any backlash. I have really good reviews on iTunes. like it's surprising you know it's just surprising because this is such a small niche and you know a lot of mainstream thinkers are going to take issue with almost any episode i put out but in the last six months maybe it's been like a lot of friction even with my own audience and sometimes i don't know why and i might even go back longer than six months so i might go through the whole covid thing but even 
like as I was saying before we started recording, I tried to upload a show today and it just didn't happen. It'll go up tomorrow, I'm sure. But in the wrap up of that show, I even said, like, look, guys, I'm doing the same thing I've always done. Assuming that the news media is lying, looking at the stories that are going on out there and talking to people from a a counterculture alternative viewpoint and dissecting those mainstream stories. And that's what I've always done. You know, so it's really nothing new. I don't understand why some people can take an alternative viewpoint of 9-11 or even when Sandy Hook happened, we had a, a guest uh, Wolfgang Halbig, who actually runs school shooter drills and wrote the handbook on how to handle them. And he thought something was up with that. One of the most controversial stories ever, events ever. And I got almost no backlash. Everybody's like, wow, that was really interesting and refreshing. So we've tackled really controversial subjects. But for some reason, in the last year to six months, it's just like I am constantly battling with my own audience to keep pace with what we've always done whether it's ukraine and some guests talking about well ukraine is basically turned into a puppet nation for the west it's a trafficking hub for you know drugs and kids and they've got these bio labs going and the hunter biden laptop thing and there's multiple u.s politicians whose kids are on the payroll in ukraine so it seems to be a lot of embezzlement so you know we're just talking about that And then I'll see reviews or comments that are like, well, I guess the higher side chats is just carrying water for Putin or is, you know, sucking Putin off. And it's like, dude, no, not really. He's just a different type of gangster. I thought the American empire was on the wrong side of a lot of the conflicts they're involved with from Vietnam right on up to Afghanistan. So why is it so hard to swallow that they'd be also on the wrong side or at least antagonizing this conflict? It's the same thing, but the people can't, I'm just getting much more pushback. And I don't know if it's because the mainstream mono narratives are getting stronger or more sophisticated or more aggressive and people just aren't seeing through them. But, you know, we don't have to go down the COVID rabbit hole, but that was another one where people are like, taking everything at face value and I'm just doing my same old thing of dissecting it from many different angles. All I do is ask the questions. I'm asking guests who have done the research questions about it. And people are just pushing back in a big way and it's kind of confusing me, but it's also making me feel as if like maybe the the, the mainstreaming of MK Ultra, like the things that are going on, I think people just are not as critically thinking as they used to be. I don't know. They're not as open-minded to alternatives as as they used to be, but something's definitely happening. There's a heaviness and an intensity that, you know, in my unique position, I'm experiencing in a different way than I have for the last 12 years. Yeah, man. Uh, I got a good question to follow up. And then I know Mark, you, uh, you probably have one as well, but I need to piggyback off of what Greg said. So the question I have for you, Greg, is, are you seeing the same sort of pushback in the same sort of time period in your like regular life, like going out to the store, interacting with people like who don't know you as any different than any other person? Are you seeing that paralleled in that life or is it different from the, 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 the podcast life relationship? 
Well, I don't really get into any kind of conflict when I'm out, but I'm seeing a lot more conflict amongst other people, you know, whether it's honking at people in parking lots or, you know, walking around the corner and seeing two people screaming at each other that I have noticed more, but I just, you know, it doesn't really happen with me. I'm just like water on a duck's back. Like it doesn't really matter what someone has to say. I just like, Hey man, everything's cool. Take care. I'm not looking for any problems, but yeah, I've definitely seen, observed more issues out there. And I would say that there's been more rifts in my personal life because a lot of my personal relationships are based on things other than do we agree on every conspiracy under the sun? But yet in the COVID years, it's been, I mean, it's plastered right on your face. What side of the, of the political spectrum you might be on or not even political. I mean, it's become political, but are you an alternative thinker? Are you a rebel? Are you uh, you know, do you have the spirit of punk rock or are you a rule follower? And that's plastered right on our faces now. And so it might've been easier in previous years to be like, you know what, buddy, I don't care what you think about nine 11. Let's just have a good time. But throughout these years, it's been a lot harder to go to a restaurant with someone who drinks the Kool-Aid on COVID up, you know, down the line of every protocol we're supposed to do. And it's been it's been a little more tough in that regard because you just can't avoid some of this stuff. I mean, it's getting better now, but, you know, it all still lingers. Well, and I was going to add, you know, not that I'm on the show, but as the booker, I have noticed, you know, moderating our Telegram chats and and even with, you know, one or two guests, which we don't need to mention, there has been this, yeah, you know, same sort of wave of, of divisiveness, Greg, you know, even with this show. And I know Tinfoil Hat and the Higher Side Chats have similar sized audience, but I would argue that the Higher Side Chats audience is a little more critically thinking. No slight to the Tinfoil Hat audience. I just, you know, Sam's a comedian. He tends to attract a certain crowd. But... It does feel like the the conversations that we are having in this, what used to be maybe a smaller sect of larger society, it's broadened. It's more people are here. So unfortunately, maybe the, the critical mass of intelligence has, you know, gone down a little bit because there are just more people. And yeah, a lot of people, unfortunately, only woke up two years ago and maybe before that before the covid narrative crushed as many of us as it did you know before that happened people were happy being blue pilled and and didn't even understand the concept of blue pill versus red pill and now you know it's unavoidable to your point it, it everybody has an opinion on it and yeah it can be pretty decisive but i don't know i think there is a certain you know like attracts like and i know not all of your episodes are about you know covid and and more political topics have you seen that same decisiveness in you know episodes with you know more esoteric guests you know like your recent conversation with alan greenfield and sex magic or you know something to that extent well that's certainly a divisive topic because you know it's just People have weird puritanical thoughts about sex and mag- they think sex magic must be dark. So yeah, that one is thorny territory for sure. But even something completely innocent like a show about dreaming and what is the dream realm and the imagination, the comments will be, 
the whole world's falling apart and you want to talk about this? So it's like, no matter what, there's always some way to come at it negatively. And that is kind of new. I just kind of try to roll with it. Everybody has their own opinion. And I really think that what a lot of public figures or internet commentary folks say, influencers, whatever term you want to use, is like a lot of times that negative commenting is about them or their lives. Like you really don't know what's going on in their lives, but they're just dissatisfied and they're just spewing it out about everything. That's part of it. But I always, I don't try, I try not to be dismissive of the comments and feedback that I get. So I do try to really look, think on it and be like, you know, does this sound like it's about them or is this a legit criticism that I should consider going forward? And you know, it's 50, 50 or whatever, but I think just people are not doing well right now. COVID's lingering effects, lockdowns. I mean, a lot of people either lost their jobs during that, didn't want to get the jabs, got talked into getting them and don't feel comfortable about that. Inflation, gas prices, it's everything. I mean, everything is really, it's turned up to 11 and I don't blame people for being a little bit on edge and having less patience than usual Hmm. and just being a short fuse, I would say. Everybody's got a short fuse these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of what makes some of these conversations so appealing is the inspiration that you lead by example, you know, doing what you did. Your your story is very much a part of your podcast. People who listen long enough will know like your journey and where you are now because of the work you put in. And for me, it's extremely inspiring, you know, very much following in your footsteps with my own podcast, throwing caution to the wind. But I think, you know, us three, we're not, maybe not the, the typical type of person. Not everybody's willing to kind of live outside of the boundaries of society. And now we're seeing more and more people saying to themselves, hey, you know, I kind of get why people would go and live in a tiny house in the woods. Or I kind of get why people would want to have their own farm Whereas maybe five or 10 years ago, people were like, yeah, let's go live in the city where all the cool things are happening. Now it's it's becoming, you know, very much, I don't want to say isolated because we all are very much connected through this medium in some way, maybe not the most organic way, but, you know, what do you think about this wave of, of people who probably reach out to you by the, the dozens and the hundreds saying, oh, Greg, thank you so much. You know, your show inspired me to go and and live, you know, off the grid. And now we do this and that. You know, I'm sure you hear it all the time. Yeah, I do. I do. And that's going to be the next step for me as well. I have to move out of this city that I have come to love because of the climate and just being close to the mountains, close to the beach, can go down to Tijuana, can go up to L.A. if I feel like it or if I'm going to be on Sam's podcast and want to do it in person, like opportunities like that come up, but I don't want to live in L.A., so two hours away is pretty great, and I've made a life here, and I really enjoy it, and I'm proud of myself being able to not only make it in a really tough city to make it in, but make it by doing something I completely built from scratch, and it's tough, and you know, it's a little bit difficult to leave this situation but it's just getting really rough out here i mean not only are the taxes brutal but you start to look around and you're like what am i paying these taxes for because you're not doing anything about the homeless problem you're not doing anything to fix the roads obviously california is pretty strict on their covid protocols and that was difficult 
So it's just across the board, the things I liked about this place are less enjoyable today than they were 10 years ago when I moved here. I mean, across the board, even something like going to the beach. I used to live in a small apartment right by the beach. And now I live more inland and I have to get in the car to get down there. And the the reality is if you have to get in the car to get to the beach, you might as well live two hours away because there's no parking anywhere. (laughs) So I took for granted to be able to just walk down there. And like, so it doesn't matter if you're five minutes away or, or five hours away, if it's, you got to jump in the car. So I'm almost like, I should just go to Phoenix. And then I pay no income tax and then I can still get here for a weekend. But I just think I really got to go and, and, and get out of this city and any city really i want to get into a more rural situation it's not necessarily in my nature or personality to be a homesteader type but i also just think that's part of the conditioning of our generation and so i'm ready to try to reverse that and do something better you know i think becoming a dad makes you think about those things and the fact that sure i can put my wi-fi on a timer so that it goes off every night at 9 p.m and we sleep in this house with no wi-fi signal but that doesn't change the fact that you flip on your phone and there's 30 wi-fi signals you could connect to you know you can't control what your neighbors are doing so you're in the bubble you're in the emf soup of everyone else around you just between me and the nearest 7-Eleven, three 5G towers are there that weren't there three years ago. And it just starts to be like, you know what? Maybe I do want to get three to five acres and just control my environment and just know that I have a little more autonomy and be in nature. And if a buddy or two, you know, starts slipping through the cracks and be like, hey, why don't you just come on down and we'll throw a mother-in-law suite on the next acre over and we'll, we'll build a gravel path for me to you, man. Like I, you can do a lot of fun stuff if you have creativity and just, and you, you want to experiment with building and you have the, the space to do so. But clearly a lot of people are thinking that because I've been keeping an eye on properties in like, outside of like an hour outside of Denver, an hour outside of where I grew up in Jefferson County, Missouri. I've been looking in outside of Nashville, Tennessee, different pockets. And I have all my filters in place, like what price range, what acreage, you know, how many bedrooms. And there are less and less properties all the time that fit the descriptions like of the, of the narrow filters I've put on it. And the prices are going up and up and up probably a hundred grand more than they were this time last year. So clearly a lot of people are making those moves and maybe prices come down. Got my fingers crossed for that. But I think a lot of people, if they haven't already made that move, they're feeling like, damn, I'm almost priced out of even being able to make that move. I'm kind of stuck here. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now, but we'll get through it. Mm. So I got. I want to go back a second because you said something. Uh, because you and I want to tie it into what you just said, Greg. But you were you you gave us an example. You gave us an example of of some of the comments which you were receiving. You walked through us uh, about like, oh, with all the stuff going on in the world, this is what you're talking about. And you kind of talked a little bit about the internalizing process of of like wow like when you read those comments you're like you're thinking about you're trying to be balanced and conscientious and all this sort of stuff but i mean there was once upon a time i used to like to agitate and like that's just an agitator that 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 one example i can't say for anyone else 
that's just like like that's either a bot or that's a person who's paid to like focus and agitate upon you and so uh that's part of the poison in this which is not authentic to the to the other poison i just needed to to at least share that perspective with you Hmm. yeah yeah I, I again i mean when i get those comments i definitely typically assume that it's a real person who's a real listener but that's not always true clearly we know there are a lot of bots out there and agitators and the less you'd pay attention to that i guess the better off you are if if someone is listening to you and they have that sort of response then, then they're not a fan they're something else like they're not they're not worth it but we're, we're but what we're getting out of the the painting which which i'm i'm hearing you describe is it's becoming more and more evident like where everyone's borderlines are like mm-hmm. you, you're like i can't do this anymore i can't do that anymore i can't do that the split has happened like we're witnessing like what it actually looks like i would agree because this is this is the this is the experience um so well, how does constraints on people well the only place there's constraints where there are not constraints is where it's easy. The constraints people are faced with are looking at a situation from a perspective that no longer works. That is a fundamental truth. Well, what do you but think is it, the proper orientation to view like a person's path from the point that they're in right now? For any human being, well, the first thing is like maybe a degree of stabilization, which is more or less everything's going to be okay. Like the trauma has happened. This is like, like you're waking up to the fact that, holy shit, I just, I didn't realize I got sucker punched and you're like spinning around. Like what the hell just happened? That's happening on a collective level on a major, 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 major way. So each person individually has to be responsible for each person. Like that's where it has to begin. So if you're that person and if, if what I'm saying like resonates to anyone, this is my opinion. This is my opinion going through the shit I've gone through. You go and, and you find your, your kind of like your bearing. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Okay. All is well. All is well. It's like get your footing. And then once you can stabilize, you need to be really friggin' honest with yourself and you go where it's easy. Because all the constraints which we're running up against is where you're hitting the system and the system saying you got to do it the way we want to do it. Otherwise, we're going to twist your arm. But once you eliminate that, and you, you gave the perfect example when you mentioned, you know, hey, you know, if, if you want to go and put a, a in-law suite on the back of, on, the, on another part of the acreage and we'll build, a, we'll build a path and there's a lot of fun we can have. Like that is a general approach recognizing like, okay, it's going to be okay. We've been given a whole bunch of scary stories because it's true, Greg, as long as the more we're connected to the system is like the more they reinforce and become self self facing. But the more you literally pull away based upon where you have to pull away because you have no other friggin' choice. Well, then you begin to see support in a way you may not have anticipated. And I think this is collectively happening. And it's meeting each person individually in the, in their own unique situation of who and what they were 
prior to the, <laughs> the, 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 the podcast, which came out right before COVID became a national news story, which was mine and yours, uh, Kobe Bryant ritual. Mm, that, great that came out. That was the one that came out right before it was the final marker. So like, this is, we are, we, we unconsciously described this like two years ago. This is how I would, what I would say I'm experiencing what I'm seeing and what we need to do in some way. And when I say in some way, like not like exactly how I'm saying it, but we need to go be honest with ourselves and then just do the next right step, whatever the hell that means and respect other people to do that too and walk away from what's not working. Yeah. I agree. It's I typically hard, it's a hard my thing approach to, to life. Yeah, I always do think about that though. Is something easy? Is there a flow to it? Am I in with the flow or is it like pulling teeth to get this thing accomplished? I think about that quite often. I I I got a buddy who just moved from here to, you know, a rural place and their car almost got swept off the road and a flood getting out of here. They couldn't get the trailer hitch put on their car in time for the U-Haul to, to get there and start charging them. It's like all, the, all through this, the process, things were just not clicking. And I was like, man, maybe you're not supposed to move. Maybe you're moving to the wrong place. You know, maybe you should just stay and hang out here. And I think about that all the time. Like, you know, you're, if you're trying to find your true path, it's like, I feel like your subconscious, if you, if we're going to say that like everything in the external world is a reflection of the internal, like maybe your subconscious is putting roadblocks in front of you to get you to think for a second and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Maybe, maybe my path is somewhere else and I'm just fixated on this one thing and it's not going smoothly. I think about that a lot. And it just seems like now with the constraints, it's like any movement anywhere is not smooth when gas prices are like they are and inflation's high and people are as irritable as they are. Like you never know where conflict is going to pop up. So it's just like, you know, in some ways it's like the only thing that seems to be easy is the shelter in place attitude. Yeah. Gas is at an all time high yet. Sometime, somehow, some way there happens to be dozens of dirt bikers that ride by my house every day it's a it, you might hear it over my microphone but <laughs> mike i definitely you know i see where you've been going i mean from baltimore to gnome countryside i'm sure baltimore and san diego have a lot in common at this point in time a lot of urban areas are going through this i'm not too far from new york city my sister has to move out of there because of the rent prices going so high but you know here we are looking for alternative options mike do you want to maybe let us in on you know your sort of new i don't want to call it a philosophy but this new way of life that you're sort of embarking on and i don't know it's sort of like an alternative lifestyle maybe not the most you know for a young father with the young children, maybe not the best idea to be nomadic, but you know, Mike, your your boys are old enough now. What are you, you know, taking to this approach? I mean, synchromystically venturing from one place to another in this time when most people, to Greg's point, are trying to relocate and and find a a more sane place to be or a more safe place to be. Well, well, the first thing is. 
just the general perspective which which I hold. Um, which the reason I hold it is because this is the most logical conclusion, at least from the way I get things from the from the from the level of life in which we're living here, like in in culture, like it's it's happened. Like there's no sort of like, well, you know, like the the change has occurred. Like the, how people live, we're moving to something we can't imagine. We are in transition right now. Like that's that's what this looks like. Like what you're describing, that's what this looks like. You're describing the effects of something else. And so there comes a point where we begin to step into that. And we're going to have to figure out ways to go about this. And this is why principled living is becoming more and more desired to, to know with a small set. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, we're seeing the split. And I'm seeing it firsthand. And what I am recognizing and what I have seen and experienced is that part of the, the letting go process, and we need to recognize like what that exactly means, looks like, and feels like, but part of that is going to be, you know, it's going to be scary. And there's an element of surrendering. And, but at the same time, regardless of the gracefulness or lack thereof, there's an inherent support that you, you, you can't really count on. There's an inherent support. And this is the time which we go and we discover it. Yeah. I'm with you. Can you elaborate? It's hard, to, it's hard to lock in exactly on on that, but I guess based on the guests I've talked to, meditation helps. Being in the present moment helps, but it it can be hard because there's more noise than there's ever been. So then, exactly, like you 100% nailed it. There's more noise. So what do you need to do? You got to do the opposite of noise. Like whether that's focus, you need to make decisions on how that no longer affects because you're 100, 100% right. Like people need to go and start like really making major different changes in the way they perceive how life is lived. Otherwise, what are your other options? I mean, here, here's a, here's the talking point. I caught, I caught neo Ludditism 2.0. You know what a, you know what a Luddite is, right? Greg? Right, right. Yeah, like a person who just doesn't get technology. Do you know where that term came from? Not really. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly butcher this story, but just slightly, slightly. I'm going to say I'm 80% accurate is how I'm going to describe it. Late 1800s, early industrial revolution, some town outside of London where they were like traditional textile makers with looms coming into town with like all these big fancy industrial revolution textile makers. And one of the guys there was like, nah, this isn't coming into town. And they're like, what do you mean? We're going to be able to put out 10 times more of the stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, not at all. And so he got people fired up and they went and they burned down the, the loom. And the reason why the guy did it, it's not because he was afraid of technology. It's because he valued the way of his life. You know, you know, this is the lifestyle of my grand, my mother, my grandfather, and so forth. And so then, Luddite, as you you described, is like kind of a pejor a pejorative term where you know you're. It's implied that this is someone who's got a fear of technology. And in the same way, like conspiracy theorists is a pejorative, a why is that the word so hard for me to say, a <laughs> term coming from the CIA. And so 
new Ludditism is kind of like what the Unabomber is. So if you've ever read the Unabomber's manifesto, you're going to read through it and you'll be like, yeah, you know, this, this cat's making some sense. Like everything he says, I don't, I can't find contradiction with it. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But we all know what the Unabomber is, right? Like, you know, that type of thinking lacks linked to that type of person. Like, you know, that creates a, a censorship. But that is thought of as neo-Ludditeism, like kind of like move out into the woods and literally reject the whole thing. And one of the things which I think is, is because we're in a transitional time, meaning we're moving something this is temporary and we don't quite understand it yet and it's okay we don't have it fully understood like we accept that as the collective experience because if you don't you're just going to go in the metaverse and then it is through it is through this this beginning with this awareness is when we recognize that the technology loop is going to have to be stepped off of the hardware software upgrade loop at some point, you're going to have to step off of it. This is like this is part of the neo Ludditeism is just a recognition, because we're at a point where everyone is so addicted, is so addicted that it's un and our lives are so intertwined that we cannot imagine. And all that is is a picture in your mind of the future of how you'll be able to support yourself without what they told you. Um, I think this is the. the we, we recognize that as a fact, and we couple that with everything we know about the literal potentiality of this realm. Everything which you talked about, all of your guests and experts who talk about the nature and the expansiveness of consciousness. Like, this is when you go and you put all that in action. We recognize where we are, and this is what it literally looks like when everything changes. Like, this is what it looks like. Mm. Whatever your life is, that's it. It's not like something you saw in the movie. It's this. How do you know? Because the shit you did before no longer works. And in fact, you've got no idea what can work other than the fact to put on their VR glasses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, another silver lining, I think, is that a lot of the tech companies, and a lot of things are losing their value like crazy. Like their stocks are just sinking. I mean, the whole woke culture like Disney is front and center in a lot of that. They've been in trouble recently. Netflix is going down the tubes. Is a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like maybe people are waking up a little bit. The whole Meta and Facebook, their stock has been tanking. I don't think the metaverse is going to work. No one is asking for it. As a person who's been a gamer since I was in kindergarten, I've always heard that VR is right around the corner. I mean, in the 80s, they were talking about VR. So this idea that it's like it's coming and we're all going to be living in it, I think it's their plan, but I just don't think it matches the reality. I, I really don't. And, you know, we'll find out. We'll find out. But the Davos conference was last week, and there were some scary things said. But again, it is just their plan. But all the things that conspiracy folks get mocked about were on display. And they're just right out in the open saying things like, well, we finally have a functional microchip for medicine. And the guy says, imagine the compliance. And it's like, well, hold on a second. I thought if I was prescribed a medicine, it's because I have an ailment that you're supposed to be fixing. 
So why do you need to worry about my compliance? Isn't the compliance self-preservation? Isn't it self-evident that like the medicine solves the problem? So this idea that they have developed a microchip technology to go inside pills to report back to base that the pill was taken, it's like, why is that needed? It, it really isn't, and it should freak people out. But another woman, the executive director from one of the international chapters of the World Economic Forum, she point blank said COVID has been one of the most profitable products ever. And the report is called Profiting from Pain. I mean, these are just people at a conference talking like it's a TED talk and openly saying this stuff. Why doesn't anyone follow up and say, what do you mean COVID was a product? How about we discuss that? Like, what is that supposed to mean? And another thing that was said, just because I took a couple of notes because I knew we'd be talking today. One guy, he, his name is like Yerval Noah Harari. He's the Israeli public professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He said the quiet part out loud, out loud because he said, our challenge in the near future will be what to do with all these worthless, useless people and our solution is looking something like a combination of drugs and computer games. And it's like, that is like three Black Mirror episodes rolled into <laughs> one right there. This is what they're saying, but it's like, as Michael was saying, like there's multiple, there's different paths and you know, you, what you were doing isn't working. So start walking some other path. And like one of those paths is, do you trust Big Pharma to have your best interest at heart or do you need to go looking at a more holistic, naturopathic way to keep yourself healthy? Because what Big Pharma is saying is, we're gonna put microchips which have no health value to you in your body so that a little light flashes on our screen to know you took your pill. Well, fuck you, I don't need that. I'll decide if I want to take the pills. You give me the prescription and then I'll tell you if it's working and I'll take it if it is and I won't if it isn't. Like, what is going on here? So they're saying this stuff out loud. That's the scary part. But the silver lining is that a lot of these companies that are involved with this, their stocks are just falling off a cliff and I'm happy to see that happen. Hmm. I'm still stuck on the idea that there are people out there that actually think that Big Pharma has the best interest. And maybe this is a reflection of my naivete and a reflection of the caliber of people who I get to go and surround myself with. But I've never heard anyone who actually believes that. Oh, yeah, they're out there. Clearly, they're out there. I mean, I'd say and seven out of ten people like that. Like someone who, oh, my, it's that's that's just too funny to me that that even exists like every time you look back at it you're feeding it, right like it's when when you don't look at it it's not your life hmm. well and doesn't that speak to you know the game here mike like this whole idea of monopolizing our attention and what they're putting our attention towards and to greg's larger point like look at what they're trying to push us into it seems like drugs to me where i wanted to go maybe wrapping it into mk ultra again it seems like drugs are really their only effective means of controlling us on a minute you know level of like what they want to achieve uh, with these sort of brainwashed programmed people right they can't quite do it 
the way you know they'd hoped with just television it's some sort of combination of both which to me speaks to you know what they're really doing which is you know sort of ritual and occult sort of uh esoteric spell you know this blending these what used to be relegated to rituals you know blending these chemicals into our society in a sort of sneaky way first making them you know attractive and part of pop culture and then slowly but surely they become more and more you know medicinalized so to speak and now you see states like Oregon who they've legalized all drugs and you know I I don't know what's going to happen there but it does feel like you know one of Aldous Huxley's novels or something to that effect is is playing out if if what what Greg is saying is is going to pan out but then again to your point Mike like you know how much power are we giving to these narratives when they monopolize our our attention you know should we should we not even fear this kind of stuff at all because you know by not fearing it we take the power away from it well i i would say it's this the most important thing a human being can do is understand how the mechanism of being human a human being works because that it's it's like if you're driving a car it's like you're like okay Mark, I, I, you wake up and you're sitting behind like the, the wheel of like some sort of craft and you've, you're, you, you're in a position like the only thing you do is, is operate this craft. The first question you will have to ask is like, well, what do I do? How does this craft work? And that is the human experience. And the human experience is fundamentally, we know this, we know this from so many ways is fundamentally an internal consciousness game. And the better that that is understood, like what that means, not as a theory, not as like an interesting conversation, but like, oh, this is how it works. And at the, right now, at the, 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 the peril of self-preservation, because there are, there are, effects which are purposefully manipulating everyone's consciousness, the way they perceive reality with artificial stories, aka or an example of it would be predictive programming. When when the when when the stories and it goes so much deeper than predictive programming, everything is part of like self perpetuating a certain lifestyle of experience in this realm. The more people actually understand, oh, this is how it works, it becomes self-evident what you don't want to do. Like, it's not like I have to stop doing this. You're like, I'm not going to do that anymore because I understand what that's doing. And if you're not at that level, if you're not doing that, we're all at various degrees on that waking up of being born into the system, is like we're meeting it with like what we still want to hold on to. And that's also like, as they've always said, where you stumble is where you find the goal. Like, okay, well, then that's the place where the rubber's meeting the road for you. Mm. Yeah. Your thoughts, well, Greg? Well, I, I think it's going to apply differently to each individual person, but that's definitely something people should keep in mind as they're trying to navigate difficult times. Well, I would, I would say that's the whole nature of it. It's like an individual experience. It has to be. It's like what, what's happening in your life. 
and how you're meeting it. Like that's like that's all we have. Like I don't have like a, a version of Mike not in this life, and you don't have a version of Greg not in this in this life that you're so readily in control of, like you are here. So it it's really taking that approach. If we don't begin, if we don't do it, begin doing things drastically differently, it's going to be the same as it's always been the same. This is exactly what 1984 is. Like when you read 1984, and they tell you. They're like, all right, this is how the game works. There's an agency, and they put out stories of total bullshit, and we're like, we're we're like changing the 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 putting things down the memory hole. We're saying things that existed didn't exist, and vice versa. Like that's what's happening right now. If you know that, then why do you care? Like we need to collectively begin stop feeding the the beast, and that is that has to be it. There's no other way. As long as we're looking at it. It will always remain. And collectively, whatever that critical mass is, like that's when it begins to shift. And I'm suggesting that we're seeing that shift right now. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe I need a, a new job because my job is kind of like it forces me to pay attention and it gets quite fatiguing sometimes. I try not to give it the same power. It's more just like observation of what's happening and what's being talked about more so than what's actually happening. And uh, relaying that to an audience that wants the conspiratorial cliff notes to what the big cabal has planned. So, you know, for me individually, I really can't unplug from it all, but I'm sure a lot of people listening can. Well, you know what? You you said something kind of interesting. You said, you said, well, what it sounds like is I need a new job because of what, what, how it's showing itself right now. Um, I mean, I can say this as just, you know, from, from my personal experience is like, no, you, you, you need a new approach. Like what you're doing, like what you built, that's a real thing. But if you have changed, if it's no longer working, well then you change. That doesn't mean you destroy everything. You All need right. to find the way that it works. Now what that is, I don't know. That ain't my job. I gotta figure it out. Yeah, and we definitely don't encourage you to quit your job, Greg. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, well, no, not Greg, I meant the listener. I would say like, yeah, like, I mean, you begin, like that's part of it. I mean, I'm, there's going to come to a point, this is what I'm seeing happening. And you know, you, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, sometime as life continues to unfold, but as it becomes more evident that people are able to walk away in a way which seems frightening to someone else, that empowers two people to do the same thing. You know, there's some sort of like logarithmic sort of thing between the humanity or the collectivity of whatever human being is. And as more people are like, wow, like I just couldn't do it anymore. Or like, you know, I lost my job and I got kicked out of here. And like the only thing I had was this bus ticket to there. And then this turned into that. Or it's like, you know what? My, my cousin in South Dakota had a spot for me, whatever it is. Like they're going to go through something and they'll tell a story to someone about how miraculous it was. It's like, you know what? Like, the thing which I thought was going to be the hardest part was actually the best part and all this sort of stuff. And you're going to be different. And that is going to encourage other people to do it. And then that is how it, how it unfolds. That is just like a natural description of what it looks like if you actually want to see fundamental change on a large scale. And that's what we're asking for is a cultural collective change in how we collectively understood reality. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think for me, I really am in a practice what has been preached on my show phase. It's just about getting all the ducks in a row and trying to 
make it happen. But I think that I would probably get a lot of respect from at least a segment of the audience that, you know, a lot of times the criticisms levied at me are like, look at this guy living high on the hog in San Diego. And it's like, well, number one, you don't know how I live. You know where I live. You do not know how I live, but it's just assumed from people who've never really spent much time in California that it's all just Hollywood and it's all just like one big opulent mimosa brunch. But, you know, there's a lot of things out here that I like, like just being able to play Frisbee golf year round. I've played Frisbee golf on Christmas three years in a row. I couldn't do that back where I lived in Missouri. And that's free. Mm. So there are a lot of things I like that have nothing to do with the money, but it is still one of the major cities. It is a Navy hub, the Navy, quite sketchy. It is a 5G test city. And I don't really want to give California my tax dollars anymore. My money comes from the audience and it feels weird to turn that over to the state of California even in just a percentage. I mean, we all have to pay taxes. It's not something you can avoid, but I could do my show anywhere and I could go somewhere where I pay less. I could go somewhere where I pay nothing in income tax in some states. And I just feel like um, like a frog in boiling water, you know, and it's getting quite hot here. And it's it's. I think it would be a good thing for me and it would be a good thing for the audience to see me make that transition out of one of the, you know, probably most conspiratorially potent cities that is in the United States. Well, and you know, it's, it's something that I, I definitely resonate with being out here on the East coast. It feels like we're kind of trapped on the wrong side of the Hudson river, if you know what I mean. But Sam says the same thing very often, you know, where am I going to go? He's been talking about this and thinking about this and, you know, Mike being here with, your sort of sensibilities and what we've talked about on your handbook for the apocalypse, particularly when we, we got into, you know, the James Shelby Downard stuff and the, you know, mystic, the psychic highway and the, you know, mystic elements of Americans toponymy, you know, you went on a, a journey recently, Greg, and I saw on Instagram, you had a nice picture with the lady in front of the Roswell sign did you did you come I know you said on a recent episode that you know you didn't find any place that really felt like it could be your new home but was there a sort of synchromystic approach to this journey do you think there was anything about it that you would maybe you know do next time differently or like what what was that like just got, getting out and exploring the world with with everything that you've been learning Sure. We, me and the wife definitely had the go with the flow attitude. We thought, okay, we're going to push ourselves out here and take this long road trip from San Diego up to Chicago and then back down through Texas. So basically, you know, we hit Phoenix, Vegas, Utah. We hit Denver, Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Roswell, of course, Santa Fe, and then Phoenix and back home. And we were hoping, we were like putting ourselves out there to say, you know, hopefully something feels right. And, you know, nothing really did except when we were back home where we grew up and getting together with friends who now have kids. A lot of my friends had started to have kids when I left. So they have kids that are 10 years old. And, you know, we met up at a winery that didn't exist when we grew up and, you know, they've got acreage there. So we're throwing the 
throwing a ball for the kids, letting them, you know, bat some balls around. And that to me was really fun. It was probably my favorite part of the trip, but I have a real chip on my shoulder about moving back to Jefferson County, Arnold, Missouri. And I think the thing that I don't want for my daughter, and this is kind of the catch 22 about living a rural life versus city life. When I grew up, I was really angsty and me and my buddies got involved in uh, a fair amount of vandalism when we were young. And we were just like, let's torch. We just, we hated where we were from. And I think the main reason in retrospect is because I never saw anyone really succeeding or really achieving a lofty goal. Everybody just kind of was in the middle, you know, working at the hardware store, all these jobs that I was like, I don't ever want to fucking do this. This is nuts. What are my options here? And it just felt like I had no, no solid options, like not even to work for a decent company and go a semi-conventional path. And my friends who are the most successful from back then. They moved to places like Denver and got jobs in, in major industries or moved to Chicago. And what I don't want for my kid is to be so rural that they just see people who have egos for no reason, who kind of drink them their days away because there's just nothing going on, boredom, settling, you know, I, I, that, that had a huge impact on me and it sucks because the cities, the smart cities, you know, that's where everything's going down. But at the same time, I want to take her to my friend's houses who have done really well. And they've got two rental properties in Denver and, and like, they're, they're really enjoying their life and they live like a work hard to play hard kind of philosophy. I, I want her to see examples of people like that. And going back to Jefferson County, Missouri, it's really kind of sad. Yeah, you can have fun on the weekends, drink some wine with your friends and throw some balls around in the yard. But on a day-to-day basis, it's a little sad. And so I, I worry about that and, and bringing my daughter to a place where she doesn't see any real examples of true achievement. And maybe it's all conventional capitalist bullshit, but at the same time, it's like, optionality is good and to feel like you're drowning with no options as you're coming of age that's a scary place to be yeah no and i think that there's definitely a lot of midway there i'm sure there's plenty of of suburbs that feel just as bleak you know no matter where you go rural to suburb my home state of connecticut kind of feels that way too just because of the income gap you know similar to san diego people might think like oh i live in connecticut i must be you know part of some rich family like no not at all (laughs) there's a lot of normal people here but mike you know as a so let me add to that go ahead because there's 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 a there's a That's a good news story. So the good, or there's good news to that story. So the good news is, I can say with almost 100 percent conviction that there is absolutely no way that any of our children are having the experience of childhood which we experienced living in this culture when we were children. Like that is just like that, and it's becoming every moment. It's becoming more and more different. So that you you don't even have to worry about that. I mean, I remember what it was like when I was a child. It's so different than than probably what Mark had. So the the thing which I thought was interesting, which I heard from you, Greg, was was what felt like home to you was literally home. Was literally 
like the 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 however you want to think of what your feeling body is you're like wow i like being around friends or family there was a familiar arity and if i were to go and reflect upon uh, a trip like that and it sounds like it was it sounds like you 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 put out a pretty big intention you want to see what what are the options open to you and when the the feedback at least what you shared with us would suggest that you just didn't like the answer which you got back (laughs) but but it might be something as simple as a changing of a perspective because the part of you that's telling you where you felt home it doesn't respond to like like the part of you that says i don't want the experience i had to be with 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 my children. So it's, in my opinion, there's some real interesting space there. And it, the, the right solution, as I said, like it's, it's shifting, like the work has been done. It's like, what makes sense that if you're going someplace and if you're not feeling good about it, or if it's, if it's something you do need to work with some of the stuff, which doesn't feel good, but it's learning how to find that, like trusting something on a deeper level. And I'm going to suggest like what you're describing is what we're going through is that kind of intuitive knowing and then the recognition of what if I don't like what that intuitive knowing is saying to me and then examining that in a new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's probably something, something there for sure. Well, then it's just hard to know. Yeah. And maybe to kind of use a, a, a monkey wrench to throw some mysticism into this. You're not from a totally bland place, Greg. I mean, Missouri shares a border with what the, the biggest river in North America, you know, the Mississippi river, a place that's, you know, in by some, you know, experts examination, maybe a mystical reflection of the great river Nile, you know, we have, places like Cairo, Illinois, and I'm sure you've heard it all. We have the mound complexes. Doesn't that aspect excite you? Maybe getting back into to that area and maybe even giving your, your kids the opportunity to have a, a, a little person sighting like you once had. I mean, can't really discount all of that, right? It's true. It's true. It's just, I, I really just worry about motivation in some of these rural places and the lack of it. I mean, I can just look down the line at the top 30 friends I have in those who moved to venture out and those who didn't and the kind of progress they've made in their lives, whether it's economic or just maturity, you know, it it seems to be a real factor. And, you know, there's, nothing you know there's who's to say if if my daughter grows up and moves she might she might move me and my wife have always said we don't want to start a kid at the finish line as just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek way of saying san diego it's so fun sometimes like there's really no struggle here with the weather you know some rogan talks about all the time is boston people are tougher and they rib each other a lot because it's a harsh environment to live in and Southern California people can be quite soft and squishy because of the environment, the weather mainly. Obviously, there's economic difficulties, but you know, and, and that's kind. There's some truth in that that I don't want to start her at the finish line. I have friends I've made in San Diego who consider Missouri the East Coast. 
their geography is completely in the toilet because they've never thought about anything outside of <laughs> California. And I don't like that either. And maybe I'm thinking too much about managing the upbringing and environment in which my kid grows up and you really can't. But, you know, it's, it's just something I'm thinking about and, and trying to choose a place. I probably tend to overthink, but I like to be really efficient and effective. And I, I know that when we move, that's the place we're going to be for a while. And I want to make sure that I've thought through everything and covered every base, but there just probably is no perfect place. I think that's very wise, Mike. You got, uh, I mean, as a father, you probably have way more to add to that than I could. I mean, specifically, don't underestimate your influence on your children as being much greater than, or at least potentially much greater than anything collectively. And so that breaks, you know, I was just going to say that that is fair, but I know people who, I grew up in a house where it seemed like everything was going right, but the next door neighbor just so happened to like meth and then their kids doing meth. And it's like that, that sucks. You know, I don't want to bring my kid into something like that. That's why I need the five acres, no neighbors. (laughs) Well, that would definitely, that would definitely help if there was, if there was (laughs) some of that distance. No, I'm just kidding. This doesn't all have to be, you know, Greg Carlwood's therapy session here and, you know, the the where to move think tank. But I, I think, I hope that like anyone listening, like these are the wheels that are turning in a lot of heads out there, whether they have kids or not. It's like I got one opportunity probably to make a next move to where I want to be through the next few years, which seem like they will be difficult in America. Do I want to leave the country entirely? Well, that's an option that's on the table as well but I probably would not want to be a distance from my friends and family that requires air travel. I'd like to be able to drive to friends and family that, you know, might need assistance or something. So I'm probably going to stay within the borders, but I just want to be probably out in the middle of nowhere. And that has its challenges, especially for someone who's never lived necessarily like that and has never been a homesteader and really is just a house cat. Like, I'm going to have to really make a big transition, but I think that's where a lot of people are, are at right now. At least I hope that that's representative of a lot of people. Cause I don't really want it to just be about me. No. Yeah. And I hear you. I don't mean to put the focus on you, Greg. I know you're not really used to that so much, but, but yeah, it is interesting and it's undoubtedly relatable for people out there. And, and don't discount the fact that, you know, your listeners do want to get to know you to some degree, I guess. So whatever you're comfortable with we don't want to we don't want to pressure you but yeah i think there's there's something to it man like having this perspective and you know you've been doing a lot with the the higher side meetups which i know it wasn't your original idea but it's a fantastic addition to all the great things you have going on on your website i think it's it's a great way for people to get outside of the conventional system through which a lot of us make the connections we normally make. And, you know, if you're not living with this sort of uh, carefree mindset that I'm probably guilty of, you know, it could be kind of, you know, gloomy. And I think having folks around you who share your perspective and you, you get out of that sort of mode of, of, you know, can I even talk about this with them? You know, you get past all the decisive topics and you just sort of connect on a, on a real level, which is what everybody's 
looking for anyways but you know i have a question mike with this masonic meeting that we kind of brought up briefly earlier mike do you remember the guest that was supposed to be there but wasn't there the gentleman who who was a part of that group and and you know just happened to not show up that night I do not. I it, it, it's escaping me. What do you, I don't know what you're referring to, Mark. Okay, so there was a gentleman who has been on Greg's show who was a part of that Masonic meeting. A guy, a guy named Mark Stavish. Do you remember this part, Mike? Now, and he was going to go, but then he didn't show up. Is that what happened? Right, right. I don't. I don't remember exactly how you found out about this, but I do remember you told me. But yeah, I guess there was. Someone oh, who was wow, supposed to yeah. be there and didn't show up. That, and that Mark was... Stavish, the guy who wrote the book about egregores? Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, what's the story here? So I get this invitation. I get this invitation to go and give a presentation. It says, Dear Mr. Wan, I am so-and-so member of this, Freso- this Free Masonic Lodge and and I am the leader of this sub-Masonic group made up of other lodge members from other lodges who are particularly interested in very esoteric topics. We would like to invite you to come and present your work, for we are fans of it. And this is the date, and this is the restaurant, and it says the guy's name, and it says 33 degrees afterwards. And it said Mark Stavish? No, no. So, so that is that is like basically... What I told you was December 1st, and Mark Stavish, that's Christmas morning. So there's like 24 days like leading up to the opening of that. But the long and short of it was I was given that invitation right on my, my 50th birthday, and it seemed legit. And I was going to go, and I was going to do my normal presentation. And then a week before, I went, and I realized that the location, the date of the event was on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. And as I said to you, like that was, that was at least for me, that was a, a, a touch point in, in what I released to the collective when, I, when we did that show of yours and that corresponds directly with like the beginning of the COVID thing because it came out the week before COVID was said to be a, a national emergency. So I see it's the date, and if you recall any of the details, I linked his helicopter crash to another helicopter crash that happened some 30 years earlier over his school, and that happened to be where the restaurant was where we were meeting, like maybe about two miles away from that exact same spot. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the beginning of five unbelievably, unbelievably strong coincidences, including this, that there were 57 days from the invitation and when it was said to go and give the presentation. And 57 also played considerably in that episode, which you and I did. So all this stuff is lining up and I'm like, okay, what's going to go on? And I go to that and that's a whole sort of story unto itself. And it's a fascinating one, but the long and short of it, immediately after ending that, my entire personal life kind of has changed considerably. So what Mark was talking about was of all of the, the people who came to the restaurant, all of these, these, these Masonic brothers, like, and they were just like regular guys. You know, I wouldn't have, I mean, maybe a couple of them, but like there was, it didn't seem like anything out of the, out of the, the conspiracy, the ghost story 
storybook. But the one thing that was said was in the after talk, and I was talking to the guy who put it on, he was saying, hey, do you know such and such? He was Mark Stavish. Stavish, he was supposed to come, but for whatever reason, he didn't. And so that was what Mark was making reference to, was, was that story. And I totally forgot about that, Mark. Mm. Well, and why I brought it up, uh, obviously I wanted you to address all of what you just addressed. And there's a few other things that we have to address that you left out. Uh, and that's fine. I remembered. But yes, I did drive down to Media, Pennsylvania. I don't know. Toponomically speaking, Media, Pennsylvania is sort of a strange name for a place, especially in the times that we're in now. So we're in Media, Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, given that Mark Stavish is, Greg, as you know, the guy who talks about egregores at large, you know, he's, you know, somewhat of a you know, an expert on the topic, if you can call anyone an expert on that sort of topic. And given that your show reaches so many people, I'm like thinking to myself as just another humble plus member, like what kind of like podcast egregore has been created here? Like, and, and Mike being this sort of synchromistic magnetic sort of nomad just is like, pulled into it somehow and i don't know it, maybe it's <laughs> something that i'm noticing here but what do you think craig <laughs> well it's a tangled web who knows why uh, anybody does anything like i wonder why he didn't show up i mean i don't really know him any better than i know anyone who you know 99 of our communication is the on-air interview but that's interesting i don't know what to make of it really hmm and then the you other, know, I, go ahead, Mike. Can I respond to that? So, I mean, by definition, if we want to use the egregore by definition, anytime, anytime, like there's kind of like a grouping of, of people, you could go and say like that's, that could be egregore creation. And I would say podcasting in general is probably one of the most potent ways of getting inside of listeners' emotional psychological body because it's such an intimate sort of art form like you know you listen to it and so uh, i think that, that that's an interesting point and particularly i meant to say this a little bit earlier was when greg mentioned about how how he's recognizing his role his unique space and what that can do and then really like seeing that as the conductor i think that's a really interesting idea of what of what you're saying mark with 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 the potentiality of whatever that the the art form which we're participating in actually does on that deeper level mm. well and the other thing that kind of came up that was very interesting and i think this speaks to the larger broad strokes of what i'm maybe trying to get at here and I promise I'll, I'll try to form this into a question, Greg. <laughs> but the the MK Ultra connection, right, Mike? We were there. I don't know. I mean, I could be misremembering, but I was almost certain that this big FBI break-in happened at least around the same time, if not the same week or the same day, precisely. That, that, well, that meeting was scheduled, right? Can you maybe get into that a little bit? So Okay, so why don't you go and verify when that, that event happened? So, I, so what, what Mark's talking about is a recognition of even the concept of MKUltra into the collective consciousness 
is a little bit of a MK Ultra gaslighting sort of experience. Because if you ever put any of your own awareness or consciousness into learning about learning about how MK Ultra works and like who's involved with it, the natural conclusion, the natural conclusion, if you have any self awareness, is like, have I been MK Ultra? You have to ask yourself those questions because it's broad enough and, and, and it's, it's wide enough that we're all affected to at least some degree. And so, so the the MK Ultra, as you know, even the the mind parasite itself, how was it introduced? What is the avenue in which MK Ultra, as an idea, because that's all it is, was introduced into the collective mind? Like that's that's the thing. You know, I'm really spelling out. I'm spelling out the in extreme detail, but I'm explaining the mechanics of consciousness behind it. So MK Ultra, like all of these stories can be tied back, whether you say this happens naturally or it's convoluted, it doesn't matter. This is how it works. Um, MK Ultra came out into the collective consciousness through something which is known as the church commission or the church hearing. And it was a congressional congressional hearing, which I think took place in maybe the, like '77, like maybe that time frame, and I'm pretty certain one of the Rockefellers was was the chairman or, or one of the the leaders of of this this committee. Obviously, Church is probably the the head of it. But the point is that Church committee came about because there was a break in. There was a break in at an FBI aid office where supposedly a bunch of radicals went in and found the FBI file cabinet and inside it was like detailed explanations of like uh, counter like the counterintelligence movement and MK Ultra and that that is how it got into the collective that is the pinprick into the collective mind in which MK Ultra came. So the reason why this is important is that location, like where that location exists ge uh, geospatially, like how it's tied into the land, also was like one block away from the restaurant in which this Masonic meeting took place. And Mark, you could, if you went and saw the date, I don't know when that, when that took place. I don't know if it was the same date. I know it's definitely the same place. But the presentation was January 27th. Right, right, yeah. and Or 28th, do you think? Because that's what... No, all right. So it's March 8th, which maybe was why I confused it, because of the double eights. But yeah, March 8th is when the break-in happened. So not, not the same date, but close enough. Right, well, definitely the same place. Right, right. That's wild. Yeah, well, Mike, I'm sorry. Did you want me to read this? So the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI was an activist group operational in the U.S. during the early 1970s. Their only known action was breaking into a two-man media Pennsylvania office of the FBI and stealing over 1,000 classified documents. They mailed these documents anonymously to several U.S. newspapers to expose numerous illegal FBI operations, which were infringing on the First Amendment rights of American citizens, one of those being the MKUltra operations. But it says the, uh, the first front page story that came out that spoke about any of this stuff was on March 24th of that same month. So, but yeah, that's, that's the dates and that's the rundown. Huh. 
Well, it's interesting. Did you have that anything else, Mark? Close to where you were. No, no. I mean, there was certainly, you know, just the, you know, the egregorical idea kind of looming over. But then, you know, there was their jokes about killing you, Mike, which I thought was interesting, right? There is a kind of a, a story to the presentation itself, I guess. But yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting night. The Masons were definitely not as threatening as we might have expected in a paranoid uh, sort of way. But yeah. Well, I, you know, as I like to talk about it is, or the James Shelby Downard Vortex is there seems to be a big part on the, on, on, what, if you go, do you remember my pet goat, Greg? Yeah. What did you think of that? Like the, the, the video, it was like a video called my pet goat, not just yeah. like the book of George Bush reading it. Right, right. I wasn't sure which one you were referring to, but I've seen both. It's been years. Refresh my memory on the video, because it was it was kind of like it was this like trippy sort of computer animated like conspiracy art video where it shows this guy, uh, and it was really, really, really well done. This is like circa two thousand eight. 2009 and it would show like Obama it began with Obama tap dancing and then you watch this like what looks like a Jesus Christ like character go into a trance as all of the world like implodes and he's on this boat uh, it, it's a really really it's a really really like deep and kind of like for lack of a better word, and well done, trippy telling or psychedelic, that's the word I want to use, psychedelic look, looking at the collapse of culture as a large-scale human ritual. And there is, and there's a, a truth to that being like, one, it is, it is all convoluted, and two, by putting people into these experiences, you know, these rituals, these rituals, regardless if they're aware of it or not, and then having some degree of, of influence as to how that mental input is then going to show itself in the change in society. Like, you know, that, that's mm. at least a perspective I like to hold and look at things, and particularly the event which Mark's talking about. Yeah, I I think that the book that George Bush read was My Pet Goat, and you're talking about a movie that was I think it's called I Pet Goat, which I always thought was a weird yes. title. Yes, but yeah, it's that it, weird one. It's psychedelic. It is definitely all over the place, but it involves heavy themes. Isn't there like a nuclear explosion in it? And people, I, I don't. That it was end times kind of thing, like it was an end times prophecy sort of thing. Mm. And at the and at the very end, it shows the new world, and that's what the whole thing is about. It was it was like part of like the 2012 movement programming of how to go and see the change in society, and that is a way of understanding or looking at reality. Just as like you know, you can look at reality any way you want. From that level, it is from that level of of looking at at that Masonic event immediately which i looked at as an initiation of some sort i didn't know what that then brought me down paths which prior to that night i had no idea what's going to happening like literally the next day i had to move to baltimore and 
I didn't want to get a Baltimore. And I moved into a house without heat, which sounds horrible, but it turned out to be the biggest, the biggest diamond in a cesspool. And then that learned, leaned into so many unbelievable experiences. That's what I think maybe to an extreme level, but you could look at all of the events, um, or at least I choose to look at those events from that lens. And this is what we're living through. And if you, when you do that, when you can hold that note and see that you're part of both the, the build and the collapse, this is how we begin to change the narrative because we're no longer, we, we change which note which we're holding because we understand or at least have a perspective in terms of how to look at it. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely think there's some interesting interplay in like how the media you consume, even fictional, influences like what ends up manifesting in your life or the larger reality or these movies that have a huge cultural impact and and that culture can actually shift. Sometimes I think about those mechanisms of reality, like they weren't meant for the type of distribution we have now, like for a movie like The Matrix to be seen by a billion people. Like in the natural world, there really is no mechanism for that. So things can have massive influence beyond what maybe was even supposed to occur with the structure of this reality. But I also think about like the grays and the whole subculture of people seeing paranormal things or being visited. Like if you get into the my lab stuff, it seems like the military is heavily involved. And some people think that their experience might've been like simulated by the military. And it's, it th I think that something that was going on was like, let's tell people, let's, ha let's give people these simulated experiences and then encourage them somehow to get out on the circuit in ufology and tell their stories and see if there's an effect where people start actually having experiences with what they interpret as grays. It's kind of like when people say they see a Marian apparition. Well, Christians see Mary, sci-fi nuts see little grays, but there's something that Jacques Vallée said that it's a projection and it plays with the, the conscious mind of the observer. So uh, based on your beliefs is what you see when you encounter whatever this paranormal thing is that has the ability to kind of sh read your mind and then shape shift. And I think that's what the military was trying to do through the 80s and 90s, which was to find a new archetype, put it in films, have their guy Steven Spielberg make some movies, and also put people on the circuit to be like, no, this is what it looked like. And then, and then sit back and see if more people end up having those experiences and then measure that. So I don't know. I think there is some, and maybe that's an egregore as well. Like they created one and then people started experiencing it. But yeah, there's some definite interplay between media and what happens in one's life. And I think that they were playing around with that for most of the 80s and 90s. Well, do you, do you think, don't you think they've always been playing around with that? And it's just... Oh, probably. Yeah. MK Ultra goes back to the 40s. I mean, so does the first craft. Exactly. And so so we're at, we're at this point right now that this is like the cutting edge of all of that. Right? Like, this is what, this is what the world looks like. <laughs> mm. You know? And so then recognizing, like, okay, well, how did this happen? Like, that's the mechanics. 
that's the mechanics of it. Hmm. Right. Well, how do you think that, like, if if we could mobilize all the listeners of all of our content to try to use that mechanism to manifest something less dark, what would that process be like? So I would say, I would say this, that we live in a realm, you know, when I say we live in a realm, I mean like whatever you want to call, like you got a body and there's, there's ground beneath your feet and the sky above your head, like this thing. We live in a realm where part of the principles, the observable noble principles are that it is self-corrective by nature. Like it fixes itself. Yes. Okay. And so recognizing like part of the, everything in the system is self-referencing to itself. So when you're in the system, you're using things of the system to define how you understand the system. But when you step out of it is when um, you can begin to see where and what to do. And so how you step out of it is like that in every metaphorical way. So, and recognizing that they're just layers and layers and layers of that, because when you stop paying attention to it, like literally, collectively, that's when it begins to go away. And when you stop paying attention to it and you just start thinking about like the practical things, they're like, well, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with my children? What am I gonna do with my friends? And we recognize this, I'm not afraid of this. These are all boogeymen. They told me boogeymen my whole life. And I'm like, I just, so just begin by not playing, paying into it and then allowing and trusting that you, that life carries you. And so that is like a, what I'm describing is a letting go process. And that particularly if you're raised in the culture, which raises you to be terrified of boogeymen, that's a very difficult thing to do. So you it begin is. by looking away because the looking at it is a reinforcement of scarecrows and boogeymen. And now it's just collapsing. Now it's just stupid. Now it's just 100% stupid. It wasn't this stupid five years ago. It wasn't this stupid 12 years ago. This is like cutting edge stupid. So it's gonna collapse. Stop looking at it. That's what people should do. And then really begin to recognize like what's around them and the fact that they just went through a major fucking, like this is, this, this is a big deal. This didn't happen in the 80s. This didn't happen in the 2000s. This thing which collectively is happening, like this is unique. It's okay yeah. to recognize that. And then we begin to look with, with like not knowing. We don't know. And this person who says they do know, you probably don't have to listen to them, or at least not to follow them blindly. Mm. Well, and to Greg's question about mobilizing, I mean... I think everybody's going to be called to their own path to serve the purpose that, you know, the the greater collective consciousness is is hoping someone will, you know, take up whatever action that is. And you know what we were saying earlier about people being inspired by the connections you make on your show and the the brilliant people you interview and the the great ideas that get discussed you know and the ones that you have yourself you know i mean in the extended or in the outros there you know it's it's always very refreshing to hear your thoughts on the you know whatever topic it is but when it comes to you know the solution i think we're already kind of especially in your case greg kind of participating in that because people are going to go out and they're going to have a, a raised awareness when they meet these challenges. I mean, that's been my experience since 
understanding these things from a, a, a positive, you know, cause I used to be interested in the law of attraction stuff. And quite honestly, now I don't really put much stock in any channelings. I, I don't really find a lot of value in, in that information, even though it does seem to rhyme with a lot of other true things that I would maybe put more stock into, but it does feel like there's this sort of, I don't want to say that it, it's like a homogenous thing. It's very diverse, but there is this sort of fixed path, you know, like the path of the initiate, you could call it. And I think your podcast and a lot of others that are similar to it work in ways to, you know, awaken people to this initiation and give them the opportunity to get initiated you know because it's still a choice someone can listen to your show and then go write some kind of crazy comment or something and it's like okay well this person didn't get it probably shouldn't have wasted their time but for a lot of people i'd say more often than not probably the people who don't reach out find a lot of inspiration from what you're doing and and even you know just this conversation wherever it finds a home yeah i appreciate that and i'm sure that's true at the end of the day, the judgments I'm making based off the comments I read, they're not even 1% of the audience. Like, I'd have to read close to 1,000 comments to get that. I'm not reading that many comments. I'm reading a couple dozen right. comments. And that doesn't represent that many people. The vast majority are like me. They listen to the things they enjoy, and they say nothing. You know, They go about their day to the next thing. They think about it. They might have gratitude internally, but they just don't write anything. I don't remember the last time I wrote a YouTube comment. <laughs> so I think maybe the, the loudest voices in the room aren't always the soundest. And, you know, just trust the silence. Indeed, well said. Mike? Mark, I like how you use the word the listeners as the initiates because... The I Pet Goat 2, and, and you're right, Greg, that's what it was called. That telling of the collapse of society. And I'm going to say the collapse is just what's already happened. Like, it's already done. It's stupid now. Like, they literally, like, they, they gave you, like, civil war, and then they gave you, like, your worst abortion fear. And, like, it's just, like, one ridiculous story after another. It's, like, whether it's actually happening or not, like, the way it's happening faster, faster, faster on all the touch points, it's, like, ridiculous. Look away from it. And that process, as it collapses, that is the process of the initiate, as you said, and that is what we see in the iPad Go 2. So looking at that, and that's what's interesting, with an awareness that maybe this is just told metaphorically, archetypically, but that's what this time is. Like this is this is a special whatever this experience is, this is special. Whether it's all simulation or not, like the things are changing on a level on a leveling up way. And that's undeniable. And that's the definition I would say of this of this of this thing is as an initiate is an awareness that something is happening and we're changing because of it. Yeah, I agree with that. They're just doing rinse, repeat of the same old plays in the playbook. And I think the people captured by them erodes every time. It's just sad. I, you know, I wish it was faster. I look at the people who <laughs> are caught up in it and I'm just like, man, it has to be exhausting to think this is all real. Yeah, yeah. 
that's a that's a good way to put it yeah then you know i think at some point we just got to get comfortable with with not being able to save everyone as sam Tripoli likes to say you know like this is it's it's something that maybe might take more than one lifetime for people to fully participate in and and we really just have to take what we can get and and hope that people are are going to wake up in this lifetime as opposed to the next one or so so on and so forth but yeah you know and i i don't really even like to think in those terms of like oh some of us are awakened and some of us are not obviously there are arguments to say that <laughs> the case is true but yeah i think you know we're 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 playing in a much larger game than we've been given the rules for you know and 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 these kind of conversations in a in a way are are combating that mk ultra programming that is going on ad nauseum mm-hmm. mark let me let me let me bring it back to where we we're talking in the very beginning it's like the the world like this is not what what i'm saying is not a a a like a a, a normal critique of what's going on like oh i can't believe these these the, the unemployment rate like they gotta fix this like i'm not talking about that i'm saying like literally like look around what's happening right now not the next lifetime like this is you are seeing foundational changes on the structures of day-to-day cultural reality like this is literally literally happening right now and it's becoming very clear where each person is going like it's not a mystical experience it's the experience of your life but that is a mystical experience and the things that aren't working anymore like whether that's a relationship whether that's a job whether that's a place to live whether it's a routine whether it was a perspective whatever these things are which just like there's no room for that in my life anymore it's just too difficult or what have you too loud that's telling you where to go and so that everyone whether they realize it or not like that's what's happening right now there's no other way of of saying like this is just like any other time because it's not now you probably won't notice. Uh, some people won't notice wherever they're taking them, maybe because it's it's being done lulled to sleep. But there's tremendous change afoot, and we're talking yeah. about having an awareness of of what's going on and a collective knowing of like, okay, like you know, let's figure this out together. This is what it looks like to do that. Hmm. Well said, Mike. Yeah, agreed. Well, I don't know about you, but it's definitely getting time to eat on the East Coast. I'm feeling hungry. Greg, this has been one hell of a a conversation, a lot to digest. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your life with us, sharing some time with us amidst what seems like some temporary chaos. I wish you the best of luck with, with the problems there, but what can people look forward to with that new episode when you do when you do get it straightened out because i'm sure this episode will come out by the time that's out and do you have anything else you can share about uh, what they can expect for june and the higher side chats yeah well the one i'm struggling to get uploaded now is with kathy o'brien who is really a, a legend in the conspiracy mm. sphere i mean she is one of the most famous cases of mk ultra in a real direct and personal way some of the stuff she talks about is pretty epic and you find yourself being like man i don't know but 
at the same time, she has taken her testimony all the way to Congress, to the UN. It was the, oh, I can't remember the exact legislation, but her story, like she was on a roll and it was, I mean, it's in the congressional record. And then I think it was some form of the National Securities Act shut down that whole set of hearings. So I don't think a person who's making stuff up wants to perjure themselves in front of Congress. It Her story gets pretty intense, but it's a thing that happens. It's a thing that happens. Childhood abuse and trauma. And that one's pretty dark and pretty, pretty deep. But I also uh, have an interview with Greg Little coming up again. You know, Dr. Greg Little, someone I like a lot. Last time we talked about Edgar Casey and he was very good at his diagnosis. Like the things you could prove to test Edgar Casey's skills would be diagnosing ailments. And he was really good at it. And then all of a sudden he started getting these readings about Atlantis. And then that gets, gets really strange. But he wrote a book, another one with Andrew Collins about what they think is really at the heart of the paranormal. And that is very compelling because it's a fresh angle that involves sentient plasma, which is something. Mm, the origins of the gods, right? Yes, it's a great book. Yeah, great I book. got it myself. It is really interesting. Mike and I were just talking about it on the last episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Mike, that's the book I brought up that talked about uh-huh. the, the the strange structures. Yes, it's it's a good one. And that's kind of some of the stuff. David Whitehead, who hosts Truth Warrior and does a podcast with Michael Tassarion. I talked to him about this documentary series he just put out called Cult of the Medics. And I think a lot of us have fatigue over dissecting the medical system, but it's great. And it goes into the Knights Hospitalier and why do so many hospitals, why are they named after saints? So they're sponsored by the Shriners or there's, there's there's a real like residue from the Knights Templar that still makes its way into the whole hospital infrastructure that we have. The Red mm. Cross is the Knights Templar logo inverted. Right. So, you know, did they ever have good intentions? Is the Brotherhood of the Serpent and the Caduceus is it right there in plain sight that like this was never for your benefit? And it's it's compelling. And so that's some of the stuff that is coming coming up. Right on. Sounds very interesting. David's been on my show before. We ended up talking a lot about martial arts, but yeah, great series, Cult of the Medics. It reminds me a lot of what I've been researching with with Skull and Bones and their connection to the Templars and other interesting groups, if anything, on an esoteric level, maybe not a direct connection, but that's a conversation for a different day. Greg, this has been a true honor to to have you here with Mike. We kind of have an unconventional podcast here, doing it over the phone. You're probably more used to that, though, given you're doing audio podcasts. Do you generally, do you ever call people up and, and do phone interviews? I don't, but there are people who, yeah, I mean, we, we sometimes use Skype via phone or whatever, but I'm always on my my studio setup. But yeah, sometimes. Right on, if yeah. You're talking to someone who's not high tech. It's well, going to have to be via the phone. Yeah, I think I remember Eric Dollard, you, you were talking about having a conversation with, when you had a conversation with him, it was pretty difficult to arrange. And sometimes yeah. Mike can put me in that position. He's out there wherever he is, wherever he ends up, and in any given week, we arrange this podcast, Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. 
Mike, thank you so much for being here. And Greg, thank you so much. And folks listening, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Right now, we'd like to bring on a young man who believes in doing things. His way has got to be pretty hip. So let's lay some noise. Nothing you could try to buy me a bribe. When dead, won't sell my soul, can't buy me alive. Kindly see to your untimely demise. Sold out the time we arrived, the line is inside. Mask on, in disguise, recognized by my eyes. I'm so known, I don't even need an ID to drive. I don't even need an ID to ride in the sky. My album cover, I can use it as an ID to fly. Authentic, only way your name's on the walls and the halls and floors printed. Your reality is augmented. Pop up shops and stores and the malls rented. From business on the rich list that falls printed. That's the sound of the popo. My last album cover had a crown as my logo. Kids change by the streets, different as they grow though. Smiles drowned out, only frowns in their photos. Write for hours, so I have a lot of raps to drop. My stats from prior higher than the Eiffel Tower Paris got. So crazy in a padded box, straight jacket lock. Dissing me in paradox, we even get my parents blocked. We and you know your true MCs. The reason that we can't stay on my piece and choose. And we let and you know your yeah, yeah, we back at it. The reason that we can't. Yeah, we back at it like bad habits that relapse Fresh rap addicts who flex nasty on these tracks While well, as Patrick's machine pads catch a heat rash My speech patterns will wreak havoc on weak cats See average comedy acts yapping about your weed stash Leave me and Sean P laughing and had the team twack My homies gold mining old vinyl is deep stacks To craft plastics that got tomes nodding like a mean jabby gads We exactly what the scene lacks A schematic to bleed passion and breathe facts I keep tabs on the ladder he sees that them beats slap Plus mix mastering any other itch that needs scratch Yep, it's like we're slinging free crack Serving a rap like an assist from Steve Nash Working blocks where the misfits and fiends act Cause our master came in the trappings of a street rat Believe that's the sound of a dope beat So don't sleep out counting sheep like Bo P Wanna fly high as the nose bleeds No need to smoke trees, press play and OD Based on the way he kind of get next to all of the folks who've seen him work. And you know your true MCs, the reason that we can't stay on my piece and choose. And we let and you know your yeah, yeah, the, 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 the